Well, I often, I often make a statement. My wife will tell you if you talk to her. Um, I say this. I say, I live life on my own terms. Um, and and it's, it's a statement that I've kind of adopted. But really what it means is I don't give a, a rip about the rules right now. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so anytime I say that, my wife knows that, one, I probably broke a traffic law. That's usually what it's connected to. Or, you know, I've pushed past a sign. I've done something that she looks at me and kind of frowns like, really? Like, you're going to be this kind of example to our children? And I'll be like, hey, listen, I live life on my own terms. Um, and, and that's what I'm doing is uh, I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Doing something I shouldn't do, and that's kind of the statement I make. And, and used to, there was a season of my life where that usually involved a felony. Right now, you know, it's just some, maybe, some, again, some minor traffic infractions or some things like that. Or I'm going into an employees-only area. But, but when we do that, the thing that I'm doing is, is I'm saying yes to me, but I'm saying no to God's plan and God's purpose. And, and now they're small, but what I'm doing is I'm opening a door, a door to disobedience. A door, again, to pursue the things that, that I want to pursue and I'm setting down the things that God wants me to do. And no matter how innocent I try to paint some of those things, it's still wrong. And it still challenges God's authority in my life. And it still leads me away from the things that he would have me to do. And the truth of the matter when we begin to look at this, is, is following our heart, which is what I'm doing, and what many of us do, doing the things the way that we see fit is to blame for the majority of the struggles in our lives. That, that when we do that, when we make that choice, when we know what's right, and we choose to do something else, that's the blame. Now, as Christians, and I get some of you may not be Christians, but this is the thing that I noticed in the church and still notice to this day, is that many people, many people blame some outside influence on their their struggles and their situation. And we continue to go through life and we face opposition. We face things that are difficult. Our life begins to be led astray and we begin to tell ourselves, man, enemy's really coming after me hard. Is he? Or are you just stupid? I mean, that, that's the place. Because I'll be honest, I think 99% of my problems are my own stupidity. That there's things that every issue in my marriage, I, I can't look back at one and say, man, the enemy really, really got in there. No, Aaron got in there. Aaron messed that up. Man, that, that was on me. That was on me. But we convinced ourselves of this. But again, it's, it's following our heart, following our desire. It, it's looking in the mirror in those moments and saying, I've got this, God. I live life on my own terms. And when, when, we, when we do that, it begins to lead us astray and begins to knock us off track. And so, again, the reality is we shouldn't want to live life on our own terms. We shouldn't want to follow our heart and to pursue the things that, that we want. We should want to live our lives on God's term. That, that's the reality of the gospel. That, and again, I get that some of you are in here and you're like, I'm not really bought in. I'm here for a signature. Um, I'm, just, I'm just checking it out. I'm just seeing. But as Jesus followers, or if you're on the outside and, and you're wanting to know what this is about, the big thing is just recognizing we don't have the answers. We don't know the right thing to do. And we begin to submit ourselves to God and say, you know what? You'll be Lord. You'll be Lord of my life. And, and Lord denotes authority. And again, we come into faith, we come into recovery, and again, around here, recovery is solely centered around Jesus. And so we've done that, and we've missed that four-letter word, Lord. And so we do that and say, I'm a Christian, I live life on my own terms. And I've seen statements, I've made statements, where I know something is blatantly wrong, where something does not line up, 
And it's an area where I've continued to hold on to it and I've tried to justify it so that I can live life my way. And then when something goes awry, something goes wrong, I blame God, I blame the enemy. Oh man, Satan really got me this time. And again, it's just me, I'm just dumb. I'm just unwilling to let go of the things that I should let go of. And so again, the reality is we shouldn't wanna live life on our own terms. We should wanna live life on God's terms. And so Mother Teresa, um, she's someone who I believe endeavored to live life on God's terms. I mean, there's not a whole lot of negative I think you could dig up on the lady. I mean, she really, she devoted her entire life to the ministry, to the people around her. And she's quoted as saying this, faith in action is love and love in action is service. By transforming that faith into living acts of love, we put ourselves in contact with God himself with Jesus, our Lord. And so the title of tonight's message is this, Faith in Action. And what I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about love. I wanna talk about not just any love, but a love for God, a love for God and what it means to express, express our faith through genuine love, which again, I believe is the key to living life on God's terms. That if we come into that relationship, we're saying, God, I love you. I want you to be Lord, and there should be action behind that. And that if things don't change, if you continue to hold on to the things in your life and do things that you want to do, you're missing the key to living life on God's terms. And that key is faith in action, which is expressed through love. The Gospel of Matthew records an encounter with Jesus. Um, he had a conversation with some Pharisees that were trying to discredit Jesus. I have extreme dry mouth. The allergies are killing me. Um, so anyways, Gospel of Matthew records an encounter that Jesus had with some Pharisees. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, it says this, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so they're, they're trying to entrap Jesus. They're trying to get him stuck because they didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. They believe he was just walking around, just, you know, messing the whole thing up for them and, and pulling people away from the one true God. And so they try to corner him. Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And so he replied this, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so have you ever encountered somebody who's just asking a question because they think you don't know the answer? This is what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus. They're just trying to corner him, trying to discredit him. But Jesus, being God, knowing God's word, knowing God's heart, he pulls this out and just astounds the audience in this moment that the greatest commandment is not to do the right thing every single day. It's not to live your life perfectly. It's to have a love for God, to love God with everything. And so that's why that's the missing key to living life on God's terms. He continues and he says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. You see, the Hebrews at the time, they had the Ten Commandments, which, you know, we're all familiar with that, right? Easy enough, I can follow these ten. But what the Pharisees has done is they had the extended, expanded version. They had 613 rules that they could follow. I can barely follow like two traffic laws at the same time, right? Like stop on red and don't go over the speed limit. I fail at that. And so I don't know about you, but if you presented me with 613 things and said, you need to follow each of these to the letter 
to be good in your life, in your marriage, in your recovery, and to do that, I would fail. How many of you have failed? I would fail. I can't keep up with that. Again, I can barely keep up with what I'm keeping up with. So what Jesus does in this is astonishing. He says, forget that. Forget trying to keep up with that. He says, what you really need to focus on is loving God and loving people. That if you want to live life on God's terms, where the Pharisee said God's term says there's 613 rules to follow, Jesus says, no, 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 no. All of that can be summed up with two. That, that if your heart, your mind, your soul, everything would align to this, these two things, then you are pursuing life that's centered on God's terms. And so again, he says, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, forget all of these. Just focus on these two. Just focus on these two. I want to share with you for just a moment about um, Peter, the life and the failure of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's 12 disciples. Um, not only was he one of the 12, but he was a part of Jesus's inner circle, part of like three, three people that were incredibly close to Jesus. And so Peter endeavored to live life on Jesus's terms right up until the end where he began to fail. And so when it became really apparent that, that Jesus was going to be taken away from them and crucified, um, Peter, he had this argument, and I love it. And he said this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine or uh, Matthew 26, 33, Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And so Peter gets in this argument with Jesus, and he's saying, I'm not going to do that. And in the end, Peter failed. Peter failed. He denied Jesus, abandoned him, deserted him, wasn't even there at the crucifixion because Peter, Peter was a person. Peter couldn't keep up with it all. And what, what we believe and what we've convinced ourselves of is in these moments because we failed so big that that we're just failures and, and what jesus said earlier was listen just love god love god love people you're gonna mess up you're gonna make mistakes you're, you're not gonna be able to keep up with with all 613 things here but but if you want success just begin to lean in on this. So Peter fails, and so Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. He starts appearing to people again, and then there becomes this moment where he encounters, Jesus encounters Peter. Peter had abandoned the ministry. He'd went back to fishing. Peter calls them in, and they begin to have breakfast, and there's this one-on-one -on -one conversation. I want to share with you guys. It's John 21, 15. This is after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And then he says, then feed my lambs, Jesus told them. And so Jesus begins to have this conversation. Why was he asking, Peter, do you love me? Peter had abandoned everything of God. He was way off base, way off track. He'd stumbled, he'd failed. He was missing it. And Jesus didn't say, why weren't you there at my crucifixion? when they were nailing me to the cross. Why did you abandon me? I need you to, he didn't, he didn't even address that. He just says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, he said, feed my lambs. And then he continues. Jesus repeated the question, Sim 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. And so first, first notice that Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus gives Peter three opportunities of redemption. And the, and the thing that Jesus focused on in this, again, was not Peter's failure, but Peter's heart moving forward. That, that if Peter was going to come back to a place where he was living life on God's terms, where he was pursuing the things of God, where he was back on track, the only thing that Jesus wanted to know was, do you love me? Are you willing to love me? Are you willing to pursue me wholeheartedly, mind, spirit, soul, body, everything fully bought in? Didn't need an apology. Didn't need to go back. Hey, let's talk about what you did. It's now moving forward. Do you love me? Do you love me? That's faith in action. We may get off track. We may mess up. We may miss it. You may be far from God. You may have never been there before. And the singular thing that Jesus is concerned about moving forward is do you love me? Are you willing to step into relationship with me and love me? Jesus wasn't concerned about Peter's failure, his past, only his future, only what was next. And that's all he's concerned about with us. That's all it takes to come to a place where we begin to live life on God's terms. And so again, the same is true for us. We all have moments of spectacular failure, but that doesn't mean there's no way back. It's just this. Aaron, do you love me? Are you willing? Are you willing to give me everything? Are you willing to put your faith in action? Jesus isn't looking for lip service. He's looking for us to begin to take steps and, and to love him in a way that proves our faith in him. And so <clears throat> loving God, loving God is the first and greatest commandment. And when we talk about loving God, just like this, Jesus was looking for action from Peter. Jesus, or he said, Peter, do you love me? Then. Peter, do you love me? Then. And so we need to begin to look at, if that's the first and greatest commandment, if love is in action, what does love look like? And so tonight, point number one is this, love is faithful. Faithfulness is a measure of our love. Faithfulness is a measure of our love that... When we're trying to pursue God, when we're trying to get it right, when we're trying to step from that place where we're living on our terms to a place where we're living on God's terms, it takes that commitment of love, right? I'm going to love you, God. But, but love has to be faithful. Love has to be faithful. And so what is faithfulness? What does that look like? It's loyal. It's devoted. It's committed, right? Loyal, devoted, committed. That if we talk about this in terms of relationship, we get it, right? I have to be faithful to my wife. That, that means, you know, there's, there's no adultery, right? That, that I'm not going to put somebody ahead of her. That, that if I love my wife with everything, then, then she's going to be first. Well, the same is true of, of God. If the first and greatest commandment is to love God with everything, and that's how we come into alignment with what he wants, then it requires us to be faithful in that love for him. 
I want to share with you a passage from Matthew chapter 6. That's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus here is specifically teaching about money and possessions. Um, but, it, but it definitely has a broader application. And he says this in Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And so, again, he's specifically talking about money and possessions here. But, but as we come into that relationship with God, the thing that we have to realize is that if we're going to love God with everything, that, that we can't put anything ahead of him. That, that he's got to be, he's got to be number one. He's got to be our, our primary pursuit in the things that we do. And that's where we begin to miss it. And that's where Peter began to miss it, right? Peter, in the end there, when he, when he abandoned Jesus, he put his own life ahead of, of Jesus. And because of that, he denied. He was fearful. And he said, you know what? I don't know Jesus. And that's why he began to deny him. And, and, and we do the same thing. Our circumstances, our agenda, the things that we love, the things that we want to do, we begin to elevate those above God. And when we do that, we keep telling ourselves, God's Lord, I love him. But then over here we're saying, yeah, but I live life on my own terms. And we've put something else in his place. And every time we do that, we're pushing God to the side. We're doing things the way we want to do them. And it fails. And we wonder where we're missing it. And it's right there that that. Loving God with everything, we've got to be faithful. His faithfulness is a measure of our love. And so Jesus, again, he's not saying that wealth is bad, but he's saying we can't decide, we can't decide our loyalties between God. He is Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. James says it in a way that's a little more clear in James 4.4. 4, he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And when we step into recovery and, and we're really pursuing the things of God, when we're trying to grow in our marriage, our relationships, or do the things that he wants us to do, we try to keep our hands on the things of the world, right? Even if it's in conflict with what God says, with what we know to be true. And, and we say, I'm going to love God. I'm going to pursue him. And then we're holding on to these things. And somebody will say, but yeah, what about that right there? You've got to let go of that. It's like, no, I live life on my own terms. I have my relationship with God on my own terms. And when we carry these things with us, and God's saying, you can't. I'm not Lord of all unless I'm Lord of everything. That I've got to be number one. You can't serve two masters. And that's the thing that we try to do. That's the way we try to approach our, our lives. And, and every time we do, we're off track. Every time we do, we, we continue to stumble and fall because we haven't fully submitted to the things of God. God has a plan and a purpose, and it starts with the greatest commandment, love God with everything. And that's where we miss it, right from the get-go. Because love is faithful, and faithfulness is your number one. And right from the beginning, right from the beginning, we miss it because we're unwilling to give God everything. God gave us everything. God laid it all out there so that we could be saved, so we could be forgiven, so we could have freedom in our addiction, so we could pursue recovery, so we could have great marriages and relationships and all of these things. But when it comes to sacrificing the things of this world, we say, no, this is mine. I live life on my own terms, God. And every time we do it, failure after failure. And again, James 4.4, 4, you adulterers, don't you realize 
Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. We've got to realize faithfulness is a measure of our love. Are you willing to love God with everything? That's the first and greatest. But if you want to sum up all that God's called you to do, you don't need to know the Ten Commandments. You don't need to know 613 laws. It's irrelevant. Are you willing to make God number one? Because faithfulness is a measure of your love, and love is the first and greatest. Love is the first and greatest. Love dictates our priorities. That's number two. Time with God should be a priority. Time with God should be a priority. Again, when we step into recovery around here, it's centered around relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus says we're going to love God with everything. And if we're loving God with everything, time with God has to be a priority. I know when I married Janelle, (laughs) I, I worked here and I had a business and I did these things, and she looked at me one day, and she said, um, I married you so we could spend time together. And so it was about a year and a half in, and she said, one's got to go, right? She said, you know, you can either give up church work, pursue your business, give up your business, and pursue ministry. She says, I don't care, but you're going to be home. You're going to be present. You're going to be with us. Why? That's how she measured my love, right? Was she wrong? Absolutely not. That is, I stepped into marriage, and I'm saying that she's my love, right? My, my wife, then that has to be a priority, that, that I've got to be intentional there. God's asking for the same. God's asking for the same, that, that we spend time with him. And we need to begin to evaluate, where, where are we spending time? What are the things that we're doing so often, I encourage people to do, to do things that I'm not doing very well. You should pray more, and then God convicts me. You should pray more too, Aaron. <laughs> you should read your Bible more, and then God's like, quack, you too. And, you know, the thing I realize is it's, it's not that I don't have time. It's that I haven't made it a priority. That, you know, as I've, as I've endeavored to get in better shape, because that became, it became imperative for my health that I do so, I found all sorts of time, all sorts of time. Why? Am I any less busy? No. I made it a priority. And, and that's what we have to do with God. That again, if we're going to really endeavor to do this, if you're going to really endeavor to pursue what he has for you, you're going to love God with everything. And that love says you're going to make him a priority. Guess what? Coming to church once a Sunday is not a priority. Coming here once a Monday is not a priority. It's not. It's not, it it takes more. If I saw my wife for two hours a week, she would leave me. That's just, that's just the reality. Why? Because my mouth may say I love her, but where I'm putting my time and energy says otherwise. And we've got to learn again. Time with God should be a priority. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, He will give you everything that you need. He will give you everything you need. It's not found in your job. You may need money to survive, but it can't be your God. It won't save you. No job will save you. It can't be in your friendships, in your relationships. They won't save you. They won't set you free. The thing that will is God, and God's got to be a priority if we're going to discover what he has for us. Fitness won't save you. If you're one of these people, you're spending 20 hours a week at the gym, but you can't crack open your Bible, that may be give you great physical health, 
But what about the end? What about everything else? Those things won't save you. We've got to seek God above all else. He'll give us what we need. I want to share a story with you. It's out of Luke. Um, It deals with a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. And if you've been in church, you've probably heard of them. You've probably heard of their brother, Lazarus. And so he was a guy that Jesus raised from the dead after um, he'd been in the tomb for three days. And, And it's an incredible story. But before that... Jesus has this encounter with them. He's ministering to them. Um, Theologians and people believe that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus helped support Jesus, not only just with their house, but with finances, were there for him. They were close. They were friends. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into their home. And so Jesus is traveling, and he finds this house, and and these women are there, and they they invite him in to to minister there and and to love on them and, and to love on him. And it says this, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. And so Martha welcomed him into her home, and Mary sat at the Lord's feet. This reminds me of when people come over to our house for holidays, right? Like my wife is frantic and she's like all concerned. Like my family's real redneck or white trash, however you want to put it. They don't really give a crap what the house looks like. And, and I try to tell my wife that. And so she's all concerned and she's going through the house, cleaning things, putting stuff away, you know, washing stuff. And I might be playing video games or whatever because I don't care, right? They don't care. And so I just imagine this unfolding like this, right? That, that here, this one sister, right? My wife's laughing at me. Martha's all busy for God. And where's Mary? Mary's sitting on, on the floor. She's just kind of hanging out. And I just imagined it. She's getting all naggy. Get over here. Like, hey, Jesus is in our house. Like, don't you know? And so it continues, though. And it says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And so she came to Jesus. And she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. You can just see that unfolding, right? Two sisters bickering at one another. One has made time with Jesus a priority. The other's made dinner and getting things ready a priority. This isn't wrong, but is it what's right in that moment? And that's what we do. I mean, the things that we pursue, having a job and having a career is not wrong. It's okay. Pursuing financial stability is not wrong. I encourage it. You should do that. But is it always right in every moment? Right? I mean, these things that that we can justify in the moment, they begin to dominate and control our lives because on the surface, it's, it's a good thing. But too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. And so that's what's happening in this moment. And in verse 41, it says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha... You are worried and upset over all these details. Honey, you getting this right here? This is important stuff. (laughs) There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Again, what was Mary doing? Verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Was there work to be done? Absolutely. But how often do you have the opportunity to be at the feet of Jesus. Again, was there important things taking place? Yes. But how often 
do you have the opportunity to be at the feet of Jesus? And so we got to begin to evaluate our life. Are we really pursuing God? Are we really loving him with everything? Are we really giving recovery 100%? Are we really giving our walk 100%? Or every opportunity we have to sit at the feet of Jesus, we're doing something else. As good as it may be, are you making the things with God a priority? Are you making time with God a priority? And so again, love, it dictates our priorities. And if we love God with everything, not only should we have a desire to spend time with him, we should put that into action. We should be doing it. Open up your Bible during the week. Read God's word. Pray a little bit. Show up to church more than once a month. Begin to make it a priority and see how things change. Not only does love dictate our priorities, but love endures, endures, it's not conditional. And point number three is this, we should love through every season. We should love through every season. When it, when it comes to relationships, relationships that last, they're not perfect. That, that's, not, that's not a measure of a long-term relationship. Relationships that last, they go through tough seasons and, and they still pursue each other, right? That, you know, again, people look at Janelle and I, like, you guys have a good marriage. Is everything great? No. Like, like I've told you guys before, sometimes, like, I swear, it's Jerry Springer in our living room. And it's, it is the most white trash things you've ever seen at times. But what, what, what's, what sets us apart? Why do we have a good relationship? We endure through every season. That there's never a season where walking away is an option. But we don't always approach God that way. That, that there's times where I'm, I'm fully bought in and fully committed. And I'm pursuing God with everything. And then I get discouraged. I went through that season earlier this year. There was things going on in my life that, that I became angry. I became upset and I pulled away. And I had to remind myself that that love and commitment to God, that's for every season. It endures at every turn. That if God's going to be Lord, he's Lord when it's good. He's Lord when it's bad. He's Lord when I'm stressed. He's Lord when I'm... That, that has to be the measure, right? That there can't be any deviation. And so again, love endures. It's not conditional. And we should love through every season. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Lord, our love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. God's love for us is unwavering. In response, our love for him should be the same. That even as you step into a hard place, all the reasons you started pursuing him in the first place, they're still relevant as you struggle. There's never a point where we should pull back because we should love the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, with everything. That is the first and greatest. James, in James 1, verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God had promised to those who love him. That as we're faithful through every season, as we love God through every season, that God's promises, there's a crown at the end of that, a reward. 
He's not saying, hey, step into relationship. Love me, and I'll be your sugar daddy and take care of everything. It's going to be perfect, right? You're never going to have to worry. That's, that's not in God's word. That, there's nowhere to be found. There's nowhere to be found. That's going to be one of those conversations I have with my wife. She's like, you shouldn't say sugar daddy up on stage. So, um, <laughs> they say, <laughs> afterwards, you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's after every trial, every temptation, every season. The thing that sets you apart from the people who don't cross the finish line is faithfulness and enduring. That if you run a race, the people that finish, the only difference in them is they didn't stop. They didn't give up. And so if we're going to love God with everything, that's got to be the thing that sets us apart. That at no point do we stop pursuing God. At, at no point do we stop loving him and pressing forward. Some days are going to be harder than others. There's going to be moments where you want to quit. There's going to be moments where you question why? Why? But the thing that sets us apart, the thing that really speaks to that love is the fact that it endures, that it presses on. James continues in verse 13. He says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Again, that's kind of, those things happen in your life, a lot of them are probably just you. So, I mean, just stone that out there. And then it continues in 16, it says, so don't be misled. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us, from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true, true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. That in those moments where you want to blame God for the bad in your life, that's not from him. God doesn't tempt. God doesn't mislead you. He doesn't bring you to those places. That, that's not what he's about. Again, oftentimes that's just you. But at the same time, all of those good things in your life, hold on to those and recognize that is a gift coming down from heaven. Everything that's good, that's pleasing, that's perfect. And when we remind ourselves of that, it helps us to endure those good situations, those good things, those blessings, they all come from God. And so again, point number three, we should love through every season. And so um, <laughs> if you're like me, you're wondering like, what about that second part of the greatest commandment, right? So that was all about loving God. Um, what about people? And so John addresses this, and it's in 1 John 4, 20 through 21. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And so when it comes to pursuing God with everything, if the first is true, if you're truly loving God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, everything, you have no choice but to love people. Doing the first <laughs> gives birth to the second. It, it completes it. So you just focus on that first part, and that's 
kind of our bonus point here, loving God assures us that we will love people. Loving God assures that we will love people. So to recap tonight, faithfulness is a measure of our love. Faithfulness is a measure of our love that as you evaluate your relationship, your recovery, maybe you've been in a season of struggle, maybe you feel like you've deviated or gotten off track, begin to evaluate, are you loving God with everything? Loving God with everything says that you're faithful to God. There's nothing that, nothing else you're putting in place, number one, that God is always at the top. Number two, time with God should be a priority. If you love God with everything, spending time with him should be a priority. Are, are, you, are you talking to him? Are you reading his word? Are you getting in his presence? Are you, are you missing opportunities to sit at his feet? Loving God should be a priority. Number three, we should love through every season. God doesn't promise that everything will be great. God doesn't say you'll never be without trials or troubles. But even in those hard places that when we endure, God says there's a prize at the end of that. That if you continue to press forward, if you don't deviate, I'm going to be there for you at the end. And so we need to, to love God through every season. And so all of this, when we talk about loving God and when we talk about centering our recovery around him, it does, it starts with a relationship with him. That, that if you're gonna commit to love God with everything, you, you've gotta have that relationship, right? That's when you begin to put it into action. And so tonight as we begin to close, that's our, that's our offer to you is to come into relationship. That if you're in here tonight and, and you realize that you've never done that, You've never committed. You've never stepped into relationship with him that, that maybe you've been caught up in yourself or you've been caught up in the world, but tonight's the night that, that you're ready to do that. We want to encourage you that here in just a moment, we're going to have our chip prayers and huggers down at the front. They would love to pray with you and for you so that you can step into relationship with him for the very first time. And if you're in here and you've done that, you've gotten off track and you just need to recommit, you realize that you've held on to things of this world that that you were adulterous in your relationship with him, right? And, and that you never let go of things and you're ready to recommit and to do it right this time. Our offer stands to you too. We would love to pray with you and for you so you can come back into relationship with him, refocused, re-energized. Or maybe you're in here and there's just something, something you realize that you've held on to. You kept living life on your terms. You refused to let it go. You knew from day one that God was saying, don't forget about this, but, but you didn't let go of it. And tonight you're ready. We're going to have some people up front and they would love to pray with you for that. But we would love for you to get a white chip. And it's just saying, I'm ready to set that down. I'm ready to let go of that. I'm ready to live differently. And so if you're in here tonight and you need a white chip, we would love for you to come down front. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. You just need somebody to journey with you, to take a moment, to pray with you about the things going on in your life. We would love to do that. This is a house of prayer. And so for any of those things tonight, to come into relationship with Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to get a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we would love for you to come down front. And if you guys would, as we close tonight, if you would stand to your feet as we close in worship.